Welcome to Culture Coach, a podcast with me, Nikki Lerner, helping you to engage in a proactive movement towards unity and understanding as it relates to culture and come from. Thanks for joining me today. You ready to go? Let's get started. Hey, thanks again so much for listening. You know, I wanted to create a space each week where you and I can learn about different cultures and come froms in a safe, non-threatening, non-embarrassing environment. I hope you enjoy this podcast. For more creative resources and ideas, you can engage with me at NikkiLearner.com. Hey, friends. I'm getting super practical with you today. Five challenges for multicultural leaders. This is part one. Part two is coming at you next week with five practices. But today, I'm going to actually share a real-time live teaching that I did with a client of mine around uh, five challenges uh, and practices, again, next week, um, of multicultural leaders. And so I hope you enjoy Uh, this podcast today. I'm so glad to be back with you this week and would love to hear from you. Send me a message, um, hit me up, whatever, but enjoy. I'm going to share with you a handful of challenges that leaders of diverse people encounter, but also I'm also going to give you some very, very tangible practices uh, for people who lead cross-culturally. And there are practices that uh, we always want to make sure we just have an awareness of as we are growing as people who work in a diverse organization and people who lead uh, cross-culturally. All right. So I'll start with the challenges uh, and then I'll lean into the practices. Uh, So here's the first one. All right. The first challenge that a leader of diverse peoples usually face, and that is uh, no plan <laughs> as a challenge. No plan. So let me pull this apart a little bit. You know, usually at work, if there's a change that's going to be made uh, to a new system or, you know, something tech related or a new process or those sorts of things, it can be very easy because we're used to it. We've practiced it before to, you know, develop a plan, map it out. Here's when we're going to do it. This is what it's going to look like. Here's when we're going to tweak it and work out all of those things because we're just used to doing that, right, with processes at work. The challenge that happens now when we start to think about uh, this within the context of culture work, within the context of uh, diversity and diverse expression at work, is it can start to feel like, uh, it can start to feel strange that you would uh, plan or think about how you want to become more diverse in an area or more understanding in an area. Sometimes it can be kind of strange to think about planning those things like you would plan anything else, right? It's like sometimes that the, the uh, that section of 
um, how we interact with one another cross-culturally, right? And what we bring to work from our cultural come-froms doesn't always feel like it should have that kind of a structure. But when you're at work and you're leading diverse teams, uh, it is so important to be able to have a plan for what you want to see on your teams or even for you individually as a person, as you interact with people at work, to have a plan for how you're going to get better. And one of the questions that is both very frightening, but also very empowering, when you think about planning for your growth as a diverse leader or planning for your teams is, what do you need to stop doing so that you can focus on this? Because whether we're just a, you know, a leader on our own or we're building a diverse organization or team, whatever it is, it's too important not to have our focus on it. Usually what I've seen over the years is um, diversity efforts in, in organizations usually don't go well when leaders or organizations, senior leaders in particular, look at uh, issues of diversity and culture work, uh, issues of inclusion as a side dish to everything else that's happening in the organization, right? So it's sort of like, and I'm sure with you guys too, but most of the clients I work with are very busy. But usually what happens and why things don't work sometimes is not always, and sometimes it's because people don't want it to work, but it's not always that case. Sometimes just what happens is we have a list of 82 different things that we have to do every day or every week for work. And then we say, okay, number 83 is diversity work, right? And then what that becomes sometimes is a, we'll get to it, right? That's where no plan comes in. We'll get to it, but it's number 83. It may move up the list, right, at some point, but it's always kind of this idea of I'll get to it, um, that it becomes not part of what is served every day. But with diversity matters and conversations around culture, we really do want that to be part of the main dish in order for things to change. And so just like an organization would think about um, mission, vision, values, or uh, direction for the year, or budgets, or organizational structure, those things are what I call cultural essentials, right, of any organization. But in this work, in order for it to really make change, is that diversity work, culture, and the plan for it needs to also now become part of the filter through which multicultural leaders always see through. So then that means that uh, leaders who are looking through that filter and who are making plans all the time, you never make a decision without considering how does this impact lots of different kinds of people or um, a question, I may have mentioned this at our last training, but a question I always love to ask is, who's missing? Who's missing at the decision-making table? Who's missing in the process of people moving into different uh, places in the organization? And is there a plan for it? 
So that's a big challenge a lot of times is uh, that people feel weird about planning around diversity. But I want to encourage you all to know that it is necessary. It's a must if we want to see the change that we long to make, uh, to see people represented everywhere in the organization, um, to have better communication with each other cross-culturally, no matter where we are, whether you're in, you know, you're out in the field or you're in the office, whatever it is. But we need to make sure we have a plan. So it's always good to ask yourself, what do you need to stop doing so that you can focus on this? And sometimes a stop doing doesn't mean stop forever. Sometimes it means, is there anything we're doing right now that we could pause for six months, uh, that we could pause for this year? Maybe it's a new initiative or it's, you know, some new idea or some other change so that we can focus either as an organization or as individuals in getting better uh, as, as leaders of diverse people and team builders, all right? So that's a big, big challenge for people jumping into multicultural work is no plan. Here is the second challenge to dive into this work. Fear. Fear. Now, I'm going to talk about a lot of different fear today, but I want to give you these two. <laughs> Oftentimes, people have bring a fear with them of being called a racist or being called a sellout. And both of them are equally painful. It's a big fear. So usually... Now, now, warning, warning, I'm about to make a very general statement, okay, about people groups. Usually, um, the fear for uh, majority culture leaders, uh, white American leaders in the U.S., is this fear of starting to lean into conversations around race and culture and saying the wrong thing uh, and somebody questions your heart, questions your intention um, and if your intention was good, somebody labeling you as a racist. And it's very real. It's a very real uh, fear that people carry around. Um, and it's paralyzing. And I see it all over the place. And I see it in every organization I work with. Um, that it's a big challenge. Like you're, particularly if your heart and your goal as a leader is to get better and to learn cross-culturally and how to get better. This is a very real fear and it becomes a huge challenge to any growth that you can find is trying to just work through this fear. Equally, as I said, equally as painful is for people from non-majority cultures who at times can also want to engage in this work in a way that is uh, connective, in a way that is understanding and sometimes helpful, and that's the, what they want to do at work and with people that, that they work with. But then also this carrying around this fear of, well, why are you doing that? Like, because thinking that these people are sellouts and people carry around that fear as well. 
I want to engage. I want to help people that I work with, but I'm not sure that I should. So sometimes you hold back as a person in minority culture. You may hold back or be like, well, I don't want to give somebody too much. So I hold back. But then you keep playing this dance of how much is too much, but it's not enough, but can I be myself? Well, I don't want to be myself, but I want to put myself out there, but I don't want to put myself out there. It's very real. It's a very real fear that happens that can keep people, keep leaders from leaning into good, healthy diversity work. And it's something that you you need to be aware of. So here's just an insight around that to share is that you want to work on behalf of other people while also making sure that you are also bringing who you are to the conversation. And, and this, is, this burden is different depending on what people group you come from. Because oftentimes I find that um, people in uh, white American spaces are trying to advocate for others while simultaneously um, not sharing who they are or not bringing who they are for fear of not wanting to um, overstep or, you know, those kinds of things, right? Um, and so we want to make sure that as multicultural leaders, we're making space for everybody to bring the best of who they are at work and making space for that change. Um, I mean, the, the alternative, the dark side of that is dismissing the needs of other people because you're too, fe- too busy defending your own needs, right? Th- that's also a very real fear. Number three, another challenge for you. This goes along with number two perfectionism. People who are working cross-culturally in diverse environments need to explore new possibilities, to not be afraid to mess up, and to tweak as they go. Let me say that again. Explore new possibilities, to not be afraid to mess up, and to tweak as you go. Perfectionism is huge right now. I think it's it's so um, it's so American culture. Um, I'm sure it's other cultures too, but it's certainly American culture just in general is uh, f- for everything, particularly in work environments. Right? Is you got to get it right, and nobody wants to mess up. Nobody wants to admit that they're wrong. Nobody wants wants to admit that they need help. Uh, or anything like that, right? It's very much woven into who we are as people. Uh, And it will not serve you as a leader of diverse people. It just won't. And as you can see, a lot of these challenges are all connected, right? Because if you have a fear of, you know, for instance, if you have a fear of being called a racist, right, for trying things, then you're going to feel like you need to have things all together all the time. And so you may never step into new conversations. You may never step into um, meaningful interaction and discussion because you're afraid 
or you're waiting until you get some sign that you know you've graduated and now you can enter conversations the reality is is that there's no such thing as perfect in dealing cross-culturally there's no such thing as perfect there's no, there's no such thing as saying the perfect thing at, at all times asking the perfect question um, it doesn't exist all of us when we're trying to engage and understand each other we're going to make mistakes we're going to put our foot in our mouth uh, it's going to happen um, white americans will do it with engaging with black americans black americans will do it engaging with asian americans asian americans will do it engaging with latino americans like it's gonna happen right because we don't just all fall out of the womb and know how to navigate cross-culturally it doesn't happen that's a myth by the way you know some of us feel like some people literally showed up on the planet like that that some people just knew and everybody else knows except me, you know? But it doesn't work that way. The only way people know how to navigate is because they practice. And for many people, particularly minority cultures, it's just an everyday practice. And that's why people are ahead. <laughs> and that's why people understand some things because they've had to be bicultural at some level, tricultural. Uh, so just know that, that that will be a challenge. And when it comes up in you as a leader, this perfectionism feeling, fight it, fight it. The best thing to do to fight it is to actually move towards something that scares you. Because the more you give into perfectionism in, in your dealings cross-culturally, the more it's going to shut you down and you'll never have an opportunity to explore what's new. So let me give you uh, another challenge. Okay, challenge number four. You can write this down. Following the rules. This is my favorite. <laughs> Following the rules. For leaders in diverse organizations, if you want to see growth in the area of cultural competency, uh, greater cultural representation, whatever the plan is, all right, whatever the goal is, uh, sometimes depending on the history of a company or the history of where you have worked at, you will want to follow the rules that were set out by monocultural organizations. Does that make sense? So many times what happens is when leaders want to move from monocultural in their organizations to multicultural, oftentimes they can just pick up principles and ideas and strategies that worked when everybody was very much the same, right? And pick those principles up and now just put those principles into this new environment of cultural diversity and it doesn't always work. It doesn't always work. One of the biggest things, one of the biggest examples that I see in organizations is Sometimes in a monocultural organization, when you just have, you know, a majority of people that just look and sound and live and, and act like, like everybody else, that there are th some things that you don't have to necessarily be very clear about in that organization because people just know, right? It's like, and the thing is like, they don't know that they just know. You see what I'm saying? Because it's cultural, 
right? So they don't know that this is a cultural, a cultural standard for them because what they may call it is just normal when in reality it's cultural. So now it's, think about that. If you pick up just an example of not being clear about processes and promotions and, you know, things like that, you pick this up and now put it in a diverse organization where not everybody knows the cultural rules, the cultural coding. They don't all speak the same cultural language, right? Now you can see how now people feel like, what's going on? Why are you keeping me out? And and these the issue was a lack of clarity more than anything else, right? That's just one example of a rule change, if you will, that needs to happen when you're now in a diverse environment. People need to get very clear about how they move within the organization. What do things mean? What do uh, what do, do, does terminology mean? Uh, to start to define some things, because the more diverse an environment gets, the more clear that you have to be as a leader. And the more clear you have to be just in your interactions with each other. So a challenge for a multicultural leader is trying to follow the rules. So don't follow the rules. Make them up. You got to make up new ones. You got to make up new ones for the new environment that you're in if you want new change. All right. And the fifth challenge, I already mentioned this, is exhaustion. <laughs> Let's go a little deeper into this. Exhaustion. Now, there's exhaustion on a, a lot of different fronts, all right? There is certainly exhaustion, uh, which is no secret, from non-majority cultures and organizations of um, having to have uh, issues of race and ethnicity in the country or in the workplace just never go away, right? There's an exhaustion there. There's an exhaustion... Um, of how much communication a lot of times, uh, particularly non-majority folks, have to give during these times about what's going on and helping people understand them and helping people understand that what's going on in the situation and not being listened to. There's, there's just so much. Um, it's just an added layer. I interviewed a colleague of mine who is a clinical psychologist. And we talked about uh, trauma, racial trauma, and how it was just really amazing. I mean, I learned so much, but it was really amazing how she was saying that, you know, people in general, just as human beings, almost every person on the planet <laughs> has had some sort of trauma, which is just crazy to me. Right? Like trauma is a part of our livelihoods as people. And she said to me that, you know, for most people, they experience a trauma in their childhood or some kind of trauma, even in their adult life. And that thing happens and then the event is over. Right. And while they still may have damaging effects in their life because of that particular trauma, the event itself has ended. So now the work then is, you know, okay, so how do I, uh, how do I live? How do I become a better person? How do I um, get through 
the uh, residue of that traumatic event. So that's just people in general, not even talking about culture and race yet, right? Well, with racial trauma, what happens is now there's an added layer of and uh, if people experience racial trauma, uh, racist trauma, things that are happening to them simply because of their ethnicity, they carry that around too. However, that event never ends. I mean, think about having to experience your trauma over and over and over again all the time. And so, again, not only do you have just the regular trauma of being a person, but then the racial trauma, and you have all of this sitting at the surface at all, all times. And now, when things happen to other people in the world, you feel it too, right? And so now, that you've got everybody at work walking around with all this heaviness, and it's exhausting, right? So it's certainly exhausting for people in minority cultures. It can also be exhausting in a different way for people in majority cultures, particularly for people who uh, have a heart towards and want to work towards a better society overall, right? Where people understand each other and, and are curious about each other's come from and curious about each other's uh, life that might be different than theirs, um, you know, to talk about different kinds of uh, family models and partners and uh, cultural come-froms, that sort of thing. But it can also be really exhaust exhaustive because if you're trying to get better, it means you are always intentionally moving forward and that always requires a ton of energy. And so everybody's exhausted. <laughs> and that's a challenge because you will want to take your foot off the gas and slow down. And there's nothing wrong with slowing down or pausing. But we have to be real careful as people who, who want to be great multicultural leaders and care about other people that, that that pause doesn't turn into a six-month sabbatical. Yes, you know, that's what we really want, right? And we can't really, you can't really tell anybody like you can't tell somebody, hey, yeah, I'm just gonna I'm gonna take a break here from culture work. Uh, yeah, I'm just gonna I'm gonna take a sabbatical from race relations. You know, I mean, you can't. Don't be that person, right? <laughs> you can't be that person to say that. But it's just very real, and we all carry it around. We all carry around the exhaustion. It's different for all of us, right? It is, but it's still exhaustion, and it's something that we just really need to be aware of. So. These, I'd say these five challenges to you as leaders of diverse people and team builders um, and working along with other people, just so you can have an awareness of them. You don't have to be afraid of them. You just have to have an awareness of them as you get better. Hey, thanks so much for making the time to listen. If you like the insight today, tell your friends and be part of the newsletter at NikkiLearner.com. Remember, it takes that first decision to realize your vision for a more generous, multicultural life. I'll see you next week.